Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about micro games. We're talking about games that fit in a small package but carry a big punch. And we're talking to Greg Loring Albright, uh, the designer of Leviathan, a really cool micro game coming out on Kickstarter here pretty soon. And Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Gabe. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk to you about this is something that, that it's kind of taken over the gaming space in a lot of ways with a lot of micro games. I think there's even like a contest on the Game Crafter right now for micro games and games that come in small packages. So I'm, I'm pumped to kind of just kind of get the ins and outs of this. This is not something I've really traveled down. I, I've tried to design a couple micro games in the past. It didn't go very well. And so I'm excited <laughs> to learn a little bit more about how to design a, a good one. But just in case nobody's ever heard of you, never heard of your game Leviathan coming out. Uh, what's your bio? Who are you? How'd you get into games and design and all that good stuff? Sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Greg Loring Albright. I got into game design through a sort of weird path through a friend of mine who ran a company running uh, sort of like room escapes without a room. So we lived in Chicago. We would take people in the tunnels under downtown and have them pretend to be spies in a Macy's. And Some people uh, call that kidnapping, Greg. I'm just saying. Well, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was fully consensual, although they didn't always know what they were getting into when they started. But yeah, so I, I did that kind of stuff, and, and those games are, of course, you know, those game design is game design, whether you're doing it at a table or underneath Chicago. So one thing led to another, and I got into playing games and making games, and actually that guy, uh, Andy Patton, shout out to Andy and Matt, the guys who ran Waxwing in Chicago, uh, gave me a copy of Love Letter, the first micro game I ever played, and it blew me away. So that was part of what got me into gaming. Gotcha. And so these were like big group kind of games. Like I, I'm just curious. Escape room without a room is intriguing. So just tell me a little bit more about that. It's a little off topic, but I'm curious. Sure. Yeah. No worries. It's a it's a great thing to talk about. Um, yeah. They were sort of the, our our market was mostly sort of like corporate team building activities. So oh, okay. these groups would range in size from you know as small as six or eight up to as many as like thirty. Or we even have one game that was less about running around that could scale up to like sixty or seventy. So. Uh, yeah, they're they're awesome. It's it's almost like it's sort of pushing the boundary up towards a LARP, but with a few more game mechanics and a little less character driven. Gotcha. That's really cool. Might have to have you back to talk about that. That's super interesting. Absolutely. Now, is it and similar I'll, to? I'll put you in touch with Andy, the guy who who got me started in all that stuff. He would be a good one to talk to as well. Yeah. Now, is it similar? I've seen to uh, some games at like big conventions where they'll have fifty people, and like these people are the German delegates, and these are the American delegates, and they're like doing all these world power things, you know, and they have a big yeah. world map, that yeah. kind of thing. Sort of uh, like mega games are are very close to it, although. What we what I did with Andy in Chicago, and what I ended up doing on my own uh, here in Philly, was a little more site specific. Mm-hmm. So trying to sort of uh, suss out a space that had particular characteristics, or engage with the realities of a city, uh, and and sort of put it into that place. I feel like mega games are more about a story that you can sort of port into a room anywhere, uh, but similar similar lessons. Okay, so let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum from these giant, you know, <laughs> yeah, we're all 60 the way people. Up mega games. <laughs> yeah, mega games. Let's talk about micro games. Give me a good definition. What would be your definition of what a micro game is? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know if I would I would hold to a strictly uh, sort of prescriptive definition. I would say maybe I'm a little more on the descriptivist side. So not saying if it doesn't have these characteristics, it's not a micro game, but more saying this thing feels a certain way. It's probably a micro game. So uh, some of those characteristics that I would talk about are small. So small number of components. My friends at, at Button Shy Games here on the East Coast do 18 card games in a wallet with a rule book that can fit front and back on a card. So if you're going to get definitional, I feel like that's a decent definition. But there are, I'm sure there are games that expand beyond that, like Love Letter, which I mentioned, has little tokens, little cubes in it. Because it has cubes, is it not a micro game anymore? I don't think so. Yeah, small number of components, relatively short playtime, although there are some micro games that have small components that can go on for a little while. Um, and I think something that maybe isn't as much part of the definition of like the marketing of a, of a micro game. Well, maybe it is. Anyway, uh, elegance in gameplay. I feel like because you're working with such a small component size, you need to be smart about working your gameplay in and making everything sort of have more than one purpose. Yeah, for sure. Now, I think Love Letter really kicked off this genre, so to speak, where people got really like excited. That. And I think Love Letter only has 18 cards. Is that right? That's right. And yeah. I think there's some player aids in there as well. But as far as like playing pieces, there's 18 cards and then there's the, the little score tracking cubes. Right. And it seems like Love Letter kind of set the standard for what a micro game is. But like you're saying, there's a lot of variation now, especially like Love Letter said, this is what is possible. And then people have taken some really cool ideas and fleshed them out and, and created things that are a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger. I know there's the Tiny Epic series, which I don't think I would call a micro game, but I think it came out of this idea of a you know small box, tiny components, but a huge amount of game inside. And I think that's another thing. It's, it's a small game, but it's a, a big experience, so to speak. Sure, sure. Or even I think uh, the the bigness of the experience maybe is sort of in the like concentration of it. Yeah. It's like uh, like I used to work in coffee. It's like an espresso. Mm. It's like you get a lot of flavor, but it doesn't have to go on for two hours. Yeah, definitely packing a, a whole lot into a very small package. Now, what are some of the other games that, that you would recommend? We mentioned Love Letter. I love the Batman version of Love Letter. Ooh, I've never played Batman Love Letter. I've played one of the I played the Hobbit spinoff. Yeah, Love Letter is a great micro game. Uh, what are some uh, so the micro game and this is sort of again blurring the lines that that I've been playing a lot recently is Skull or Skull and Roses. Are you okay. familiar? No, I hadn't heard of that one. Oh, it's great. Uh, Shut up and sit down. Talks about it all the time. And uh, I think AEG, one of the A publishers, there's a million of them, published a really beautiful set to play this game. Beautiful illustrations. It's a great piece. But you can just play it with a set of playing cards or even coasters, and it's a bluffing betting game that only needs about 18 to 20 cards everyone has three cards of one color and one card of another color and the whole game is built around putting out putting out the bad one the card of the off color is your skull and then you're sort of betting about how many cards you can flip over and if you flip over the skull uh bad things happen to you and if you can flip over only the roses you're safe yeah, now so any, that's go ahead. That's been my favorite micro game recently. Sorry. No, I was gonna say any other recommendations. I know, like you said earlier, Button Shy Games does a lot of micro games. I think Ahead in the Clouds is a really good one from them. Circle the Wagons, I've heard. You know, I was gonna mention Circle the Wagons. That game is that's that's when there's a ton of depth in a really tiny package. Um, and uh, Turbo Drift is another one of theirs that uses the uh, similar to Leviathan. Actually, it uses table space. You know, it has a small number of components, and then it says the table you're playing on is a component as well. 
Yeah, and that's another way that these games kind of innovate and do a lot with a little. Like we're saying, 18 cards, but turning that into something really cool. And I think another thing that's really great about these games is that they're not usually not super complicated. Like, for instance, the, the Batman Love Letter. I brought that down. I was working at an orphanage here in Honduras, and a friend of mine who was working there, too, he translated all the cards into Spanish, and we'd play with the kids. And, you know, these nice. 10, 11-year-old kids playing Batman Love Letter there at the orphanage, and they loved it. And they, they every day, like, hey, uh, can we play Batman? And so we kind of turned <laughs> it into a, a motivation. Like, well, if you guys clean up real well and you do this, we'll play Batman <laughs> today. And it became a really good motivator for things. And I, th- I think let, let's talk more about the appeal of these games and, and why people are so drawn to them and drawn to design them. Yeah, um, I think... From the, I'll answer it with the most cynical answer first, which is uh, they're cheap to produce. <laughs> right. uh, you know, you can get you get 18 cards, and I I know nothing about publishing or game production costs. I whatever I I don't handle that side of things for myself. But uh, they're inexpensive as compared to you know even a small box game that has some pieces and a deck of cards. That's a that's an order of magnitude increase from just a few cards and maybe a wallet or a little velvet bag. So that's one. I think another thing that makes micro games good so that's from the publisher side from the designer side uh, and this is something i've thought a lot about they're really good exercises Hmm. like it's really it's really hard to make a good micro game just like in writing it's hard to write something and keep it short harder than it is to write something long and rambling so i think a lot of designers you know when that micro game boom was happening a few years ago myself and i'm sure plenty of other people making games were like this would be a really good thing to do for my skill set even if it never sees the light of day, just to try and and fit something into this constraint. Um, and then from the, the player side, I think a lot of these things have been talked about already, but they're portable, they're usually pretty simple, and because they're so small, I feel like there's that refinedness that it's harder to it's harder to accidentally mess up a micro game because it's so small. If you have some big shaggy, you know, giant simulation, there might be some parts that made it through playtesting without getting perfectly refined. But in a micro game, everything has to be perfect or it's going to fall apart real quick. Yeah, it makes it a little more obvious during that design phase. And I want to keep talking about the pros and cons of micro games. But first, let's talk about why create one of these. Like You've got one you know, called Leviathan. I'm, I'm pumped to hear a little more about it later. But like, why create a micro game of Leviathan as opposed to a normal size game or even a giant mega game? You know, Why, why make a micro? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I started on I started thinking about micro games and started making Leviathan in particular as a sort of challenge to myself, as a way of you know seeing Love Letter and really being impressed by the elegance of this game and thinking, oh man, like that's probably way beyond me. And then thinking, no, like I have to try it, even even if it's a total failure. Um, and so just setting setting limits for yourself, I think, as a creative person, is always a good thing to do. Because you you can make anything you want, uh, and that is sometimes a daunting prospect. But having to put a put a hold on it and say, I can make anything I want as long as I only use eighteen cards, uh, and that actually the constraint that that led to Leviathan was a contest that Jason and the folks at Buttonshy ran. Um, this game didn't end up going with them for a bunch of different reasons, but there I wanted to give them a shout out because they run micro game contests all the time. Um, I think they had one recently where it was a four-card game, hmm. and that's just, like, mind-boggling. Just, like, nano, micro, micro game. Right. Just, you know, how how few components can you have and and still have a game? Can you have a zero-card game? I don't know. <laughs> and those kind of constraints are really interesting to me, and that's part of why I like micro games and why I like 
designing them. Yeah, well, I think going, you know, can you have a zero card game? I think that's where Mafia and Werewolf yeah. came from, you know. And then, right. you know, I just had right. the episode with Don Eskridge not too long ago, and that's something that he he talked about how you can have a game that just lives in people's heads, and how do you improve on that? And so I think games are so cool because there's so much you can do. You bring up a great point in the importance and the 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 wonderfulness of restraint and having different constraints on your game designing and how it can help you. I know personally, if I think of something and I have this really good idea for a game, but the component is not possible to, to prototype through the game crafter, then I don't use it. Like that, the game crafter is kind of like my, my constraint is like, does it exist there in any kind of way I can make it work? No. Okay. I'm not going to use it. And so let's talk about the importance of, of constraints on, on with micro games. Like you said, you know, if you're working with 18 cards, you know, you're a guy that's designed one. And so what were the challenges that you ran into going, okay, gosh, I really want that 19th car, but it's just not going to work. Like, tell, talk to me a little <laughs> bit more about that. Yeah, yeah, the, the feeling of constraint is interesting. Um, I think actually in the, in the whole process, I'm trying to think back to when I started because it was a few years ago, but I think in the whole process of designing Leviathan, I never hit the upper limit. I never felt that need to say, oh, I need 19 and 20. In some other micro games that I I sort of have in the hopper that are not slated for publication or even nearly done. I've felt that. But with Leviathan, it's actually, it's more the opposite. The, the game as it currently stands has three, uh, we're calling them tactical cards for each player that have a little special rule-breaking ability. Uh, and those aren't mandatory. The game will run without those. The actual game would fit into 12 or 14 cards. So that was that felt really good to to work within this constraint and not bump on it. But I have felt that constraint on the other side. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right, let's talk about some more pros and cons. Uh, just in there thinking about one of the things I love about these games is they're super portable. I can throw it in a pocket. I can throw it in my backpack, in my suitcase. I can put it on the plane real easy. It doesn't take up much space. That's a wonderful pro of these types of games. What, other, some, what are some of the other pros and cons? Yeah, I think one of the big pros is something that I've referred to a couple times in this interview, which which is sort of the condensedness of these games that like if I play, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to think of a game to talk about and use as a counterexample without being mean to it. <laughs> um, but okay. So I'll use a game that I like and that uh, is great and no one can dispute how good it is, which is uh, Android Netrunner. Okay. Um, if I play Netrunner, I have this sort of this great game of like bluffing and counter bluffing and, it's just a it's a it's a thrill. I really like playing that game. I've never played competitively or anything, but it's it's genius. And if I can take what's really good about that game and and boil it down and say, you know, there's the moment where you decide to initiate a run and there's things that are face down and face up and things that you can see and things that you can't see. Um, and I think uh, well, Skull, which is like an old folk game, does a really good job of giving me that same kind of feeling with fewer components and less going on. I think the built-in con there then is that those decisions aren't as deep. Like in Netrunner, you're playing with a lot of other systems. The run is sort of like the core, but you have all these other things going on outside of it that impact whether or not you run and how you run and how high the stakes are. Uh, I think what micro games lose is the ability to have those systems that impact on one another and create this more emergent environment for your decisions but what they gain is that sort of pure distillate of we're going to bluff, I'm going to flip over a card, maybe I'll lose the game right now. <laughs> yeah, like you said, 
there's so many micro games that feel like they scratch the same itch, so to speak, as a lot of these bigger, heavier, more expensive, more complicated games. I think that's one of the really cool things about designing one of these is if you can take an experience of Netrunner, experience of Scythe or Dead of Winter or any of these big games that are lots of fun but take, you know, hour, hour and a half, two hours to play, and you can condense that into a 15-minute, 18-card experience, I think you've done something amazing. I think that's what Love Letter did in a lot of ways. It, it kind of brought this big experience of a big game and brought it into a very small package. Any any other okay. thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, well, I have one, but I'm curious to hear what what like if what's what's the big version of love letter Ooh, that's a good question you know i'd say any of the games that have this like hidden traitor kind of thing going on hidden objectives where you're trying to figure out who's on my team who has what object dead of winter uh shadows over camelot any of those games yeah, totally. where you're like okay there's this bit of unknown and i'm trying to uh, push forward my agenda so i can win and try to make sure other people don't and this person over there did that, and that was kind of interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of the, the mental meta game going on, especially as people that get comfortable with each other and with the game start talking a lot and start, like, throwing out bluffs and hints and, you know, can you can you yeah. read their yeah, face, their tail? Uh, I think any of those big games that do that, I mean, Love Letter just condenses it down into a, a much shorter experience. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I like, uh, I listened to your, your interview with uh, Don Eskridge, yeah. and I like what he said about those kind of games that they're your, we think of them as games about lying and backstabbing, but they're really games about trust. Right. Um, and that just like blew my mind. And as soon as I heard that, I, you know, I'm now turning over ideas in my head of like, how do you make a trust mechanic? And <laughs> I doubt I'll be able to do better than he did, but it was, it's a really cool thing to think about. Yeah, definitely. And, and anytime you get to take an idea like that and kind of turn it on its head of, okay, it's not about backstabbing. It's about how do I figure out who I can trust? I think that's a really cool, exactly. that's another constraint that you can put on a design that can kind of, uh, take you in a, a certain direction. So let's keep talking about kind of pros and cons. Let's talk about playtesting. What were some of the challenges you sure. ran into with playtesting a game like this? Honestly, there weren't that many. I really? feel like all of the all of the hurdles that I have in playtesting for other larger projects that I work on uh, are taken away by the fact that it's a micro game because, like you mentioned, it's portable. I always have my playtesting copy of Leviathan in my bag when I go to work, when I go around. Uh, so if there's downtime, I can throw it on the table. So it's, it's portable. It's short. I can say, oh, you know, our coffees are coming in in 20 minutes. Do you want to play Leviathan? And, uh, there was another one. Oh, it's easy. Uh, it's, I mean, it's not an easy game. It's a, an asymmetrical combat game. There are things that you have to make hard decisions, but because there are so few components, there are so few rules. Like, yeah. you know, you can, you could write five rules for each card and it would still be a shorter teach than, your standard medium weight Euro game. There was another good pro that I had when I started talking. Oh, um, uh, shipping. It's mm. really easy to do blind playtesting because with 18 cards, you put it in an envelope, you put a stamp on it, it's 38 cents. It's not a $40 GameCrafter prototype with a $10 shipping cost. Right. It's great. Yeah, those are all really great points. I, I love the ease of getting it to the table as well. I, you know, it's, it's such a yeah. simple game. But you can say, you know, if I go to somebody and I say, hey, do you want to playtest my game? They go, uh, I don't know, but I go, it takes 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Like they're more likely right. to give you a hand if it's a, if it's a shorter game. Yeah, that's a risk. Anyone I'll, I'll risk 10 minutes on just about anything. Like, yeah. That's fine. And it could be great. It could be terrible, but it'll be over soon. Right. And I think that's another good pro with these games in general, because people give them a little bit more grace, even if they don't like it, even if they hate it, <laughs> like they had a terrible <laughs> experience and it's a terrible game. They'll give you a little bit more grace. They're a little more patient with you because it only took 10, 15 
20 minutes maybe. And, and so as opposed to them wasting two, three hours of their lives and really hating it, they'll spend 10 minutes like, ah, it wasn't for me. Like, I feel like they give you more grace. Sure. Has that been your experience? Yeah, and I think that also, that's, that's a really good thing about these games that I've, I've put Leviathan on the table and played it with people and they said, that's really interesting and it's absolutely not the kind of game I like and best of luck and I'll play test anything else you make, but don't put that on the table for me again. Um, yeah. I think that can also be a con of these games in that uh, we can sort of, I, I myself know that I have sort of slacked off is too strong of a word, but whereas with a bigger game where I know it's more of a risk and more of a time investment to my playtesters to put it on the table and I'll be very thorough about gathering playtesting feedback uh, with a micro game, I'll throw it on the table and I might forget to take notes or I might not take as meticulous of notes or uh, someone might say, oh yeah, that was cool. And what they really mean is I have some critical feedback to give you, but it only took me 10 minutes, so I'm not going to bother to give you critical feedback. And that critical feedback could have been key. Yeah, that's a really good point. I haven't even, I hadn't even thought about that. And so like you're saying sometimes it's easy to get lackadaisical in your design process just because of the time commitment is so short. Right, exactly. It's yeah, that that it's so it's so easy to put these on. Like whenever I put down a bigger project on the table, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm using my playtesting group, the local, you know, game designers guild here that I hang out with, my friends that I'm I'm using their time. And so that makes me uh, a better and a more precise worker essentially when it comes to the work of playtesting. Whereas with a micro game, I might be a little more lax because I know I can do this again. We can do it again. We can do it 10 times. So that's the trade-off. I yeah. think then it has its own, it has its own built-in sort of counter, which is that if I forget and get lax, I can, it's easy enough to schedule another playtest of a 10 minute game and remind myself like, Hey, take good notes this time. <laughs> that's true. Very interesting. All right, let's <laughs> kind of wrap up our, our discussion on challenges. You know, my biggest challenge when I have tried to design these games and, and just thinking through the process is I always want to add more. We already talked about you. You didn't really have that issue. with the <laughs> Like I just always want to, I'm like, gosh, I really want 27 cards and I got to figure out how to get that down to yeah. 18. And so that, like, that's been my biggest challenge. What are some, like just kind of wrap up this, what have been some of your other challenges? Yeah, I think the, the more thing is, is definitely there. Uh, and I always try and remind myself, this is sort of like a, a life value that I hold. There's this great book by shoemaker i forget the first name called small is beautiful and it's about how uh overconsumption and overproduction are bad for the earth and for humans um this is getting real philosophical <laughs> but uh that that small things are good and that you can you can make something that's small and that the smallness itself is a value so to answer the question you actually asked and not just talk about books i like um the the when there's this notion of oh i should make more for me when i'm working on a micro game or really any game uh i'll spin it off into a new game i'll say oh wow i really wish leviathan had uh oh, well there's an actual example i really wish leviathan had a capture the flag mechanic for some reason or a king of the hill mechanic where you know there's a central piece and everyone's sort of trying mm -hmm. to, to jockey for it uh and so after a few stabs at trying to work that into the core game i just sort of spun it off and said i'll make a different game with that mechanic and that has been a really good way for me to sort of resist that pull towards packing things in too much. I feel like once, not that I'm at all a veteran of the industry or anything, this is my first published game that we're talking about, but I've, you know, you, as it is with everyone in this game, you have to design a lot, a lot, a lot before you even get on the radar. Having made 
a few games and having a number of prototypes on my shelf is really good for that part of me that wants to maximize and say, you, you need to put this in this game where it'll never see the light of day. And I can say, no, there are other games. There are other publishers who will consider them. And I can just take this mechanic and put it somewhere else for right now. Yeah, for sure. Less is more. And so often exactly. is the case. Now, you, you talk about publishers a little bit. You know, your game has been picked up by a publisher. But as far as a challenge, is it is it hard right now for a micro game to get picked up by a publisher? Because there's a lot of them. Because they're kind of, they're... I won't say easier to design, but they're quicker. They're quicker to design than these big, heavy games. And so has that led to a big challenge in, in getting a, a publishing deal? That's a good question. As I just said, I'm, I'm pretty new at this, so I don't know what my opinion on this question will mean. But uh, I had a, I, I worked on Leviathan for a long time. The publisher that first looked at it, Button Shy, known for small games. That's, like, that's all they do, and they're great at it. Um, at that time, they didn't want it, and I shopped it around to a few other publishers, and somebody picked it up. So I didn't have a hard time getting my particular micro game published, but I don't think that makes your assertion untrue, that I feel like there are, you know, there are, I'm sure there are tons of people with micro games, even if people who are listening to this who are trying to design never try and publish a micro game, I would encourage everyone to try and make one, because it's a really good design exercise, and I suspect plenty of people have had that intuition before me and then said, I designed this game. I might as well try and publish it. So yeah, it's a, it's a crowded space, no doubt. But I think that because these games have the ability to become sort of like these like uh, intensely distilled feelings, like skull is just bluff. And that high you get when you're like, I'm going to bluff, I'm going to do it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That they can be different and that, your micro game can differentiate itself from my micro game pretty easily. And so I think that maybe would help them get picked up even in a pretty crowded market, but I'm not a publisher, so I don't know. Yeah. You brought up a great point though. And I want to reiterate on that is this is a great design challenge. Even if you have no desire to, you know, publish or, or try to get one signed of making a small game, not necessarily a micro game. I'll give you an, ex- an example from something I'm working on. Uh, about a month ago, I had this idea for, a game that was basically one mechanic, right? One mechanism. And I was like, I was really pumped. I felt really good about it. And so I prototyped it and I played it a couple of times by myself and had a friend come over and we kind of, you know, played around with it a little bit. And we got done. And I was like, man, I just feel like this isn't enough. Like there just needs to be more. <laughs> and so I sat it on the shelf for a little while. And about three or four weeks later, I had this idea for a much, much bigger game. And I thought that mechanism that, that was a, a game in itself, that wasn't enough, that wasn't really deep enough for to stand on its own, that would fit perfectly in this much bigger game. And so I just took out all those cards and I renamed them and I changed a couple values and now I have half that bigger game already built and I get to add more to it. And so that's one thing that I love about game design. You never really waste time. You never really waste your effort because that idea can come back around. You can tweak it. You can change it. You can put it on the shelf for a while. Like you never really get rid of an idea. It it always kind of, it could always potentially come back and so have you have you found that to be the case with some of the other smaller games you've been working on have they kind of led to bigger ideas or different ideas oh yeah absolutely and even if it's not a direct one-to-one like i pulled the king of the hill mechanic out of leviathan and now it's showing up in another game that i'm shopping around um i feel like part of why i enjoy game design so much is that it feels uh very fluid and it feels like a learning process and this thing that you're talking about i feel like also applies just to sort of like design lessons in general, that even if I make this game and it has a cool mechanic, 
and it crashes and burns and I never do anything with it, the next time I get an idea or someone else has an idea, I can say, oh, oh, I tried that once and here's what went wrong with it. Yeah. And that, you know, there's always, there's always things to learn. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Leviathan. It just occurred to me that we never really like discussed what it is. Like we've been talking about it, but we never. So give me like the real quick. Tell me about the game, just like the real quick, you know, two minute. Uh, well, it's elevator. the grand finale. We have to keep it secret until the last minute of the snow. <laughs> right. Just tease it out, and then and then That's tell right. people. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my here's my Leviathan pitch. Uh, Leviathan is a micro game with a Moby Dick theme. Uh, it's asymmetrical tabletop card combat. So one player is going to be Moby Dick and a pot of whales, and they have hidden movement. All their cards play face down. Uh, and then another player is going to play Captain Ahab, and Ahab has a whale ship and a number of whale boats. And so what happens is you have a movement template that you can sort of slide side to side along your card and rotate it to sort of choose a heading and a speed. And then you move your cards around the table. So it's a, it's a tabletop. It's essentially a miniatures game without any miniatures. Hmm. So as, as you move around, as you overlap, uh, the whales have to reveal themselves. Combat occurs. Ahab is, of course, trying to kill Moby Dick. And Moby Dick is trying to sink the Pequod. Gotcha. Very cool. Now, where did the idea for this game come from? I really like Moby Dick a lot. It's my favorite book. Uh, I spent a semester living and studying at the Mystic Seaport Museum in Connecticut, which maybe along with or aside from the New Bedford Museum is like the home of sort of 17 and 1800s American maritime culture. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got to I got to be on board and work on board the last remaining wooden whale ship. Uh, it was a ship that Melville could have laid eyes on conceivably, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, and we read Moby Dick as part of that program. So Moby Dick is just sort of in my head all the time. Yeah. Um, and when I had this opportunity to design a, an 18 card micro game, uh, I wanted to make, I really liked tabletop miniature combat games. I had just played X-Wing for the first time and it like blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something that wasn't about war because I felt like there's so many. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sort of started tossing ideas around and I turned to animals and ironically enough, I ended up with a game that is sort of a Moby Dick is sort of a story of like a cosmic war of like, humanity versus nature or like uh moby dick sometimes is read as a metaphor for god trying to destroy this like hubristic man but uh anyway it it became it became a moby dick game from a sort of a uh, game that was formerly about war but i wanted to be thematically not about war yeah very cool well that game's up on kickstarter right now and so, you know, really hope it does well. Hope the relaunch goes really well. Now, what advice would you give as we close this out? What advice would you give to somebody who's working on a micro game or thinking about one or wanting to get one published? Any, any advice for that? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't usually give a lot of advice. I feel like uh, don't, don't fall into the trap of assuming that your play tests will be plentiful and useful. Uh, treat each play test like we were talking about. Treat each play test as though it's valuable and just as much as you would for a, a bigger game. I guess maybe a more useful piece of advice, which you could glean from listening to this, but which I haven't like stated as such, is think about when you're making a micro game, and this isn't where I started with Leviathan, but this is where I got to pretty quickly. Think about the thing that you want to distill, uh, because these games, I think, by their nature, are just sort of like there's a moment in gaming and bigger games have a lot room for a lot of different kinds of moments, but micro games are like, it's that one moment and it happens 
and it happens so intensely and you feel so good about it. And so I think a, a micro game designer would do well to think about what that moment is and maybe even compare it to a moment in a bigger game and say, how can I just take that and just like squeeze it for all it's worth? Yeah, for sure. Finding that core experience and then how can I create that in 18 cards or in a, in a micro game yeah. Yeah. setting? Exactly. Awesome. Well, Greg, man, really appreciate you coming on the show. We're about to head over into a bonus round. We're going to talk about how to turn failure into success, how to turn Kickstarter failure, game design failure. I don't know, life failure. We'll see about what happens. I don't know. We might get, <laughs> get ready. That's right. We might get a little more philosophical in the bonus round. We'll see. But anyway, Greg, appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and good luck with everything else you got going on. Thanks for having me, Gabe. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?